What's happening and welcome to another Crossroads Connect podcast. Here we discuss everything from current Crossroad events to trending topics to how we can reconcile God's truth with the real world we live in. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode 13 of the Crossroads Connect podcast. Happy to be with you all today. In our episode today, we're going to talk a little bit about our favorite seasons, talk about Labor Day and and why we celebrate Labor Day and what that looks like for us. And lastly, we're going to address another Ask Anything in our Ask Anything segment. And we're going to talk a little bit about different versions of the Bible and and what makes them different and what's good and what's bad. And so uh, that's that's today. Hey, Matt, how are you? I'm doing well today, Jared. Good to see you and hear your voice. Absolutely. So it is, uh, uh, it's the Tuesday that we're recording this on when, you know, this weekend was like, you know, record setting heat. And then on Tuesday it's, it's snowing when we're all in sweaters and beanie caps and coats. And yeah, I'm, I actually just opened my window cause I wanted to see if this rain sleet started turning into snow. And so I'm sitting here in, in the home office looking out and Christiana said, she's like, 15 minutes away at work and she said it was snowing there so yeah it's 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 snowed a little bit at thornton today in thornton today so but we have all of our tomato plants and flowers and everything covered because you know next week it'll be 90 again that's right yeah yesterday we were out there covering our stuff with plastic bags and so our 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 front yard just looks like trash (laughs) (laughs) trash is blown in to cover your flowers up that's right so uh, what Matt? What is your favorite season? Do you have a favorite season? Uh, yeah, I think that spring actually is my favorite season for a lot of reasons. Like my probably most is that my allergies and hay fever go nuts in the fall. Really? And so yeah, so I'm not a big I'm not a big fall guy uh, in that space. Summer, you know, it's it's pretty hot, and winter I can do without. But spring, when things are coming back to life, mm-hmm. when uh yeah when everything starts to sprout when it's not too hot outside when it you know a great 78 degree day that gets into the 50s at night like that's my kind that's my kind of weather that's my kind of season so what is seeding in the fall that gives you allergies it's it's just all the pollens in the air and the wind blowing and the leaves falling off trees their last ditch effort to stay alive that's it (laughs) yes yeah that's it kills me hay fever every year that's and see i'm the complete opposite like i love fall because I again the weather I like the temperatures I like how it feels I love the changing of the trees um, you know doing doing the mountain drive and going and seeing the leaves that was one of the my favorite things in Iowa actually because they have a ton of trees and they're all they call it like max color you know and it's for like a yeah. week and it's just it's incredibly beautiful but then in the spring that's when my hay, hay fever goes crazy and it's funny because. A couple years ago, I had a fever and went to the doctor thinking I was sick. And she's like, oh, no, it's just allergies. And I'm like, but I have a fever. And she was like, yeah, that's why it's called hay fever. Hay fever. I didn't realize it could actually give you a fever, and it can. So There you go. Yeah, no, I, I uh, probably part of that is living in Kentucky for a part of my life, like in the south, when all the cherry blossoms oh, yeah. uh, come to life in the spring. Like there's nothing more beautiful, I don't think, in in the world than mm-hmm. watching the cherry blossoms come and just have roads of white, you know, the trees are all white and beautiful and all of that. It's, it's gorgeous. Yeah. So, yeah. So part of spring I am is with the you beauty on that. of like spring. Too. Yeah. Parts, the beauty of spring and 
part of it's I don't have to deal with allergies and the weather. It's just kind of like the perfect mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, I, hey man, I'm with you. I I would say spring comes in second for me, even with allergies. Um, again, yeah. it's not bitter cold, and it's not blazing hot. And it's the sad thing is, is at least in Colorado, it feels like spring lasts like three weeks, and then summer or then fall lasts like three weeks, and then we're right yeah. into winter. So That's you right. know, six weeks out of the year, we're happy campers. <laughs> That's it. That's it. But you know, it's the small things in life. Yeah. So here we are. Yesterday was Labor Day, uh-huh. uh, and so uh, as of the day that we're recording this, anyway, uh, yesterday was Labor Day. Did you do anything fun yesterday? Uh, yeah. So yesterday I got up, and Sarah and I actually ran a 10K yesterday. Whoa, so that yeah. was pretty cool. Typically, we run the Fortitude up in Fort Collins. It's one of the things that uh, we do together is run some races around Colorado, and we have a good time with that. And so. Uh, Last year, when I turned 39, I made some goals for myself of what I wanted to be able to accomplish when I was 40. And Mm -hmm. so one of those goals was to run a 55 minute 10K, which was would be five minutes faster than I ran last year's Fortitude 10K. And Mm -hmm. so anyways, since the Fortitude was kind of canceled, they did like virtual. So you could just pick your own route. So we went down to East Lake here in Thornton and uh, picked that trail and ran 10 kilometers on that trail or 6.21 miles. And so, and I did it in 55 minutes. So that was pretty spectacular. And then I finished, uh, our kitchen remodel or actually our downstairs. We've been remodeling it kind of through the summer. And so I finished that all up with the building of an Island. And then we ate like Kings last night. I made some ribs and broths and, uh, we just had a, a big old feast. That's cool. And we were talking about that, the 10 K, is that what you did? Yeah. Yeah. How they have, like a specific app for you to download and use so that they can record your time and your, your distance and all that stuff. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it was, it was really cool. In and fact, creepy, at the end, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So with the, uh, fortitude and, uh, the Boulder Boulder, you know, both those races end in a, a, like a Coliseum, like a stadium, the football stadium. So CU and CSU, they end in those stadiums. And so, uh, when you come into the stadium, you know, people are cheering and all that. And so yesterday in the app, when you got technically into the stadium, into the app, you know, the last, whatever, 200 meters, uh, the, ch- the crowd started cheering for in you. In the app? And so it got louder That's Yeah, in the funny. app. And so it got louder and louder until you finished the, crossed the finish cool. line. And so, man, it felt like the whole world was cheering That's me good. on. And, uh, and I ran faster. Yeah, there you go. That's perfect. And does it, is it watching your distance or is it counting your steps? No, it was it's tracking okay. your distance. So you can't GPS, run the ten K so on a treadmill. Uh you know, I don't know. Maybe. But I my guess is that it was tracking our miles because it was using GPS. Yeah. So gotcha. I am just curious. I mean, like on a day like today, hey, I'm gonna run a ten K and have the people cheer for me. I mean there, there I don't go. know how much running I would be well, doing, but Yes. Well if you wanted to do that, you just call me in your last two hundred yeah. meters and, and I'll just cheer <laughs> you on through the phone. Matt, I'm on my treadmill. My non-existent treadmill. I'm running in space. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Oh, man. So what did you do for Labor Day? Yeah, so actually a couple of weeks ago, we we bought a pop-up camper. And so we're doing this whole remodel thing. And it's it's funny when you get something used where you're not – there's always something that needs to be fixed on it, right? And so uh, there's things that we have to do. But uh, I didn't notice it when we looked at it, but I did start to notice a bit of a smell. And I just – I wanted it to be something that was nice to be in and that we wanted to be in. And so I started taking things apart 
And before I knew it, I had ripped everything out of that sucker. Uh, so we decided to redo the floors, which we did. And um, I thought, hey, this will take like one box from Home Depot. Uh, for anyone out there thinking of remodeling their camper, even a pop-up camper, it took four boxes, four stinking boxes to redo this wow. thing. And so I'm thankful that we did. I mean, it's really nice, and it uh, it feels uh, much cleaner, um, and it really it helped with the the smell as well to get everything out and clean it and everything. But uh, I put all of the pieces in my garage in order so that I wouldn't forget how it goes back in, and. Uh, and so we, for the last couple of weeks, we've kept the car outside, and I wanted to make sure to get everything back into the camper so that we could park the car in the garage last night. So that was Labor Day, right? So Labor Day yesterday was Mad Rush D-Day to get everything finished, everything painted, and back into the camper. And so I was able to do that before this nice. weather hit. And then uh, test two was... Hey, do we get to find out if our if our camper leaks water or not? And so, uh, as the rain came in yesterday, I went out and noticed, uh oh, uh, our some of our window flaps are actually wet on the inside. Yeah. So you uh, you remodeled it all, but the thing that when it comes to like pop up campers, particularly like used ones, is the big question is, does it leak? Yeah. So that was definitely a, a concern of mine. It, I, I always feel like there's something really, really bad that's going to happen. It's like buying a used car where yeah. you know at some point you're going to find out it actually needs a $2,000 fix, right? Yeah. And, and that's why they, they wanted to sell it in the first place. So the weather rolls in yesterday, and I went out at, at like 9.30 last night to see how it's doing. And sure enough, uh, it... You, you and I kind of have a differing opinion on whether it's actually a leak or not, but the windows, uh, the canvas on the window coverings are no longer waterproof. And so yes. thankfully there's a spray. You can spray it on there, but it has to be dry. So now I have yes. to wait like three days for the weather to stop and for it to dry out. I don't see anything like, like water seeping in that's going to damage anything. It's just that the canvas is wet. So if you're inside and you touch where the wind... Only on one side, you touch where the window is, and it's definitely wet on the inside. And so yeah. that's a bummer, um, but hopefully we can spray it with some waterproofing, and that'll take care of it. Uh, I know, too, you can replace, like, sections of canvas, and you don't have to replace all of the canvas. So that's a possibility as well. Um, we'll just kind of wait and see. Hopefully we can waterproof it. And I, I joined a Facebook group, like a pop-up camper Facebook group, and posted it on there. Yeah, why not? And, uh, and people are responding to me. They're like, yeah, you just need to spray it. And they're like, I'd probably just spray the whole thing. Like, you know, uh, and one guy said, uh, like every three years he'll, he'll reapply. Cause you can use, he said two cans will do it. And they're like 13 bucks a can. So nice. it's just more labor, uh, than anything, you know, for labor yeah. day. So maybe that'll be my labor day ritual is to, uh, spray the pop-up camper with some, uh, water resistant stuff. Yeah, so that the water inside the camper that's not a leak can get fixed. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> so Matt says if it's wet on the inside, it's a leak. And I said the water actually has to get inside for it to be a leak, which technically I guess it is because when you touch it, it's wet. So <laughs> <laughs> so there's where it's at. So if, so. You're, if you're listening and you want to let us know, you can let us know your opinion on whether or not it's actually leaking or not. Yes. Yes. So, so yesterday was like Labor Day and Labor Day in America is like really the celebration of 
accomplishment and well-being uh, in the United States and for the country. And um, as we were talking about that a little bit before this, it was like, man, it would be kind of just really cool to talk about a little bit about vocation and the way that God uses our vocation to bring about well-being in our country. And so do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, actually, uh, man, when I first started feeling called to be a pastor, I wrestled through what's the difference between a pastor and just what I'm supposed to be every day as, as a follower of Jesus. And I'm like, am I really supposed to be a pastor? Because it feels like a lot of what I'm being called to do is really just being a good Christian and really whatever you want to call that a good Christian, but really just following Jesus. And, and, and so I wrestled through that a lot, you know, it is because we've uh, stepped into the vocation of, of pastoral ministry. Uh, mm-hmm. But that doesn't necessarily mean that what you're that. I mean, I think that wherever you are is where God calls you to be, you know, based on your, your gifts, talents and abilities and not one is more important than the other. So, um, I think that vocation is is important, uh, but even more important is just following Jesus where you are. Yeah, that exactly. Sense? Yeah, no, it totally does. I think one of the things that I run into a lot kind of in church world is like pastors, they have like the important jobs. This is the way it's communicated to me. Mm-hmm. Like what I do is really important because I teach people or, you know, I'm helping people be discipled or I'm leading people to faith, whatever that might look like in my vocation. Right. And so I have the important job and then everybody kind of sits back and it's like the job that they have for some reason doesn't seem as important. And yet the mm-hmm. reality is, is that God calls us all to vocation, you know, and there's not one vocation that's above another, you know, that, that being a doctor isn't above being a pastor and being a pastor isn't above being an accountant and an accountant's not being above uh, a forklift driver, right? Like every single vocation that's given that we have in this world is ultimately, I would say, um, for the most part, outside of maybe like the prostitutions and the dark side of, of vocation sure. is ultimately for the well-being of, of humanity. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of that flows from like us being created in the image of God. And we see that for six days, God worked, right? And then on the seventh day, he rested, that that we have a God who's a working God. And so when it comes to our own image and the way that we've been created in the image of God, like there's something in us that is vocational to the core of who we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I always remember, too, that work has value um, and that even before the fall, right, Adam was working, Adam had a job to do. And that's that that's still true for us today that, um, when you see somebody that, that doesn't have a firm grasp on, on, on their vocation or, or what they feel they're good at and they're able to, to operate in that, there's almost a sense of, man, I'm not, I'm not living up to what I, what I think that I can be doing. Um, mm. And so I, I just think that there's so much truth and reality to uh, God created me for a purpose. Um, and that purpose uh, that actually ties together uh, with my gifts and my abilities uh, to be able to be part of the community and 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 love loving God through that, but also loving fellow man through that. Yeah, it's interesting. You bring up Adam and Eve, right? And like God creating the world could have done anything, right? He could have had Adam and Eve just kind of sitting in a garden and all the all day beach the vegetables. Day. Yeah, all day beach day, right? Like everything just flows to them. Like they didn't have to work for any of it. Like God could have created it that way, and yet He didn't, right? Like Adam, Adam had to to be a gardener. That's what his job was, was to garden and to mm-hmm. uh, make sure that the trees were doing what they were doing as he, you know, pulled off the fruit and the vegetables and, and all the rest. And it's fascinating. And he got to, to name me. everything. He did. 
he did. And it's really fascinating to me when we get to like the book of Proverbs, like how many Proverbs there are about, uh, about being diligent in work and how that is, you know, where God blesses in that and then being lazy and really how there's like curses that come with, with being lazy and what that looks like. And um, it's just really fascinating to me the way that God has so much intertwined our purpose and our vocation um, mm-hmm. and our well-being together. And I think that at the same time, sometimes, particularly as Americans, that sometimes we uh, tie too closely our vocation and our worth, right? Mm-hmm. And so if we're in a vocation that's that's making more money than another vocation, then we have this this greater value of worth or if I have my dream job, you know, then th- there's this greater value of worth when the reality is, is that, you know, our worth is ultimately tied to who Christ is, yeah. not just our vocation. But when it comes to purpose, man, God's tied those so closely together with us. Mm-hmm. And so it's finding that right balance. Yeah. It's, it's part of self-discovery, right? And learning who you are. Absolutely. And, uh, and uh, we've been, we've been binge watching step by step. Do you remember okay. step by step? Uh, yes. You know, because it's on Hulu, so why not? So, um, right. and there's an episode where JT uh, is frustrated because his friend is in college and is getting all of these opportunities, and he's mad because he's going to be stuck washing cars forever. Um, mm. And and just thinking about that that idea of vocation and and what you want to do and and aspire to and how sometimes it you we want to get to the end before actually putting in the work, and so. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't understand that, oh, his friend went to college and already put in all this work, you know, to get this opportunity. And so in order for him to get to where he wanted to go to, he's going to have to put in, in, in some time and some work. And, uh, and I think that that's true. I mean, even with our remodels, right? I mean, there's so, it's so much work and it's so frustrating at times and you're like 70% of the way done. And you're like, man, I just want to quit. Um, at least that's how I get it. Uh, I was actually joking with my brother-in-law because he's like, man, I hate finishing projects. I like to, you know, get 90% of the way done and then something in me just like my motivation goes away. Um, <laughs> and, and so, but it's so rewarding to be able to go into whatever you've done. You can walk into your kitchen and be like, man, it it's so fulfilling to see my work have fruit, right? And so mm-hmm. uh, I think with our vocation or, or really um, – letting go of our vocation and realizing that my call isn't dependent on my vocation um, and mm-hmm. finding my, my joy and my fruit in and fulfilling what Jesus asked me to do in the environment that I'm currently in, in the circumstance that I'm currently in, as opposed to putting so much weight on, man, I have to be the next best architect if I'm ever going to be worth anything. Um, I just yeah. think that we set ourselves up for disappointment and failure. Absolutely. I think God taught me that um, when I was in seminary. And so, uh, my wife and I, we, we met in Omaha. I went to school in Omaha for my undergrad, and then I went to seminary in Kentucky. And I have an uncle who lives in Louisville, Kentucky, where the seminary is at. And so I got a job at his company, and uh, he owns a farm supply business and has a huge amount of warehouses and basically is uh, kind of a distributor. So he buys from wholesalers and then or the, the, the supply chain. Um, he's actually a wholesaler and then sells it to the mom and pop stops all around kind of Kentucky and West Virginia, Tennessee, so on and so forth. And so um, when I got there, my first job working for my uncle was actually uh, sweeping the warehouse floors. And so we're talking like a mile and a half of floors would need to be swept 
like every day. And so my day would really consist of me getting there at eight o'clock in the morning and I would finish the sweeping of the floors at lunch and I would eat lunch and then I would come back and I would start over again. And so in a given day, I would sweep the floors twice. That was, that was my job day after day, five days a week Good when times. I wasn't in school. That was great mm -hmm. times. And so I remember like in one of those moments of sweeping the floors, I'd have all kinds of time just to speak and talk with God and, you know, wrestle with things in my life. And in those moments, like in the warehouse, I was by far the most educated person on the warehouse floor. Right. And so one day it was probably a particularly bad day. I was sitting there and I was talking to God and I was trying to convince him that he actually had me in the wrong spot. Right. Like here I am sweeping floors and don't you know who I am? Mm. Like I graduated tops in, in college. I won these awards in college. Like I have all of this to give and and want to be a pastor. And here I am sweeping floors uh, day after day. And it was almost like God spoke to me in that moment. And it was like this whisper in my heart, like, Matt, if, if I just asked you to do this, could you worship me? Mm -hmm. Can you worship me in this? And is this enough? Like to know that you're doing what I want you to do, is, is that enough for mm -hmm. you? And can you be content in that? And can you find joy in what I'm calling you to do? Because this is where I have you. And it was like in that moment, there was like this huge humbling that came over me. And I wrestled probably for a good week, two weeks maybe, of God, is this enough? Like if this was it, like if this is what you called me to do, like could I worship you in this? And finally I got to the point where it was like, God, if this is what you call me to do and this is what you want from me, um, man, you've given everything and I will, I'll sweep floors to the best of my ability and it'll be worshipful and, uh, and I'll do it. And so God had me do that for almost a year mm. of just sweeping floors mm -hmm. for a year. So I was college educated, going to seminary, mm -hmm. had all these great plans and I was sweeping floors for an entire year. Mm -hmm. And it was in those moments that God really humbled me and just taught me like, Matt, at the end of the day, I call you to do things will you walk in obedience and do them? And out of that man was just some incredible blessing actually in terms of that stuff and uh, of, of what God brought to me in that season, in that year. Uh, it was really quite neat to see, but it's a lesson that I'll yeah. never forget in terms of vocation. Yeah, it's so good that you brought up the, the reality of worshiping in our vocation. I think that that's something that not a lot of people grasp or understand uh, and something that is so important to, for us to be doing uh, is to, to worship God through whatever it is that we're doing. And it's that was transformative in my life as well, uh, is when God really taught me that lesson. Uh, and same kind of deal. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was when I was working at Walgreens, and uh, I had to, we called it facing the product. And so you had to bring all of the stuff up that was pushed to the back of the shelf and bring it to the front of the shelf and turn it and make it look nice. And I remember thinking... <laughs> this is how the human brain works, right? Um, where I thought, I only have to make the front row look good because no one cares about all the stuff that's knocked over behind it. And so I started doing that, and God really convicted me on it. Like, you know, how have I asked you to follow me? Uh, are you supposed to give partially, or, or are you supposed to do everything as if unto me? And uh, mm. so out of out of worshiping God and honoring God in, in the workspace, uh, you know, I would make sure I started cleaning up everything on, in, on the shelves the way that it was supposed to be from front to back. And um, it, it's just such a, a big lesson, I think, for us, if we can grasp that concept that this thing that I'm doing, no matter what it is, if I can easily turn that into an act of worship to God, you know, as I'm 
folding laundry, as I'm cleaning out the garage, as I'm doing my groceries, whatever it is, you know, and, and looking for for those opportunities for God to use you to, to love the people around you. Yeah, and I think that when we start to adopt that that understanding of worship and even in our work, like whether you are a pastor, an accountant, a lawyer, a stay-at-home mom, anything right in between, that uh, when we start to view our work and our vocation as a calling from God and it becomes worshipful for us, then that's really when I think our faith moves beyond just the Sunday morning go to church and where Monday through Saturday becomes as important or even maybe more important in terms of the way that we live our lives out for God because we truly realize that everything that I'm mm-hmm. called to do uh, is ultimately for the glory of God and for the good of others. And so as I'm sweeping floors, you know, part of the thing that God reminded me every day as I passed, you know, bags of seed and all that is, you know, that that feed block right there is going to be used for, you know, cows. Mm -hmm. And those cows, you know, are ultimately going to be taken and turned into meat. And those that meat is actually going to feed somebody and sustain Mm -hmm. them in this life. And it was like and none of that happens if the warehouse is so dirty that you can't actually find the bags or get to the bags that you need to get to in order for that cow to be fed in order to yeah. turn it into food, right? Or whatever that was. And and that's really where I began to go, okay, God, like even me sweeping floors and cleaning this warehouse yeah. has value. I in think when kingdom. we flip it too, and our life becomes an act of worship, uh, Sunday becomes more of a day of rest as it was intended to be, um, as opposed mm-hmm. to a day of, okay, I got to yeah. put on my Sunday best and I got to be I, we're going to worship God now. You know, it, it's not it's not an activity anymore. It's a lifestyle, right? And so Sunday then is a is a place yeah. of, of connection and fellowship with other believers. It's a place to learn more about who God is, and really it's a it's an opportunity as a community to find rest together uh, as we worship God together. And then the rest of the day, uh, or the rest of the week, then is is worship. So um, really, really good, Matt. Um, yeah. So uh, at at the end of our podcast, every time now we're jumping into answering some Ask Anything questions uh, that, that came in uh, through our Ask Anything series at Crossroads. And so uh, we're going to go ahead and jump into the Ask Anything series. Ask Anything. Ask Anything. Ask Anything. Ask Anything. So this week in our Ask Anything series, this is the question that we're going to talk about. Can you explain, Matt, the different versions of the Bible King James, English Standard, New International, and specifically, uh, what's the difference between them? Which one is right? Which one is wrong? Or is there a right and wrong? And then do you have any opinion on how the Bible has been put together? Uh, the We would use the word canon, right? The, the Bible mm-hmm. canon, which I'm sure that there's there's reasons why we, we blow up the Bible through a canon. Just kidding. Uh, no, uh, but is there a reason why it's organized the way that it is and it's not in chronological order like a lot of people uh, would like for it to be? Um, so I'll go ahead and turn it over to you. Maybe we can just start off with there's different versions of the Bible. Why are there different versions of the Bible? Is there a right one and a wrong one? Yeah, so this is probably one of the most popular Ask Anything questions or maybe just one of the most popular questions that I get asked on a regular basis is just trying to understand all the different versions of the Bible. And so when it comes to the Bible, all the Bibles that we have are translations. Every Bible you read is ultimately a translation. Unless you're reading Greek and Hebrew. That's true, yes. 
right? If, yeah, if you can if you can read the original languages, then then you're getting it straight from it. But if you're reading an English version, uh, yeah, it's it's totally a translation, and it's important for us to remember that when it comes to translation, that there's actually no like right uh, or how would I say perfect trans uh, translation. And so I know like throughout church history and even into modern day church, like some people still hold the mantra that, you know, if the King James was good enough for the Apostle Paul, then it's good enough for me. You know, it's like this, this <laughs> diehard tradition of, of King James Version. But when it comes to the Bible... I see some holes in that argument. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, there's a few. Uh, when it comes to Bible translations, really, there's kind of like three main translations, right? You have the word for word, you have thought for thought, and then what we call paraphrase. And so word for word translations aim to translate every word of the original language into English. And so the most literal translation that you can own without knowing the Greek or the Hebrew is really the New American Standard Bible. And, uh, you know, when it comes to the New American Standard, I don't know if you did this through your studies or not, but the New American Standard is like the go-to text for seminary students learning Hebrew and Greek because it is so like right on mm -hmm. that you can check your work from it. And so, but at the same time, uh, because of that, it sounds really wooden. Like when we read it, it doesn't actually sound like something that we would, that we would read. And in fact, it's really tough to read it. The NASB is actually a 12th grade reading level. And so it's really difficult to comprehend and to understand for most people. Um, also when it comes to word for word translation, the ESV is one of those as well. And the ESV kind of resides at that ninth or 10th grade reading level. Uh, it's the one that we use at Crossroads is the ESV, the English Standard Version. So that's kind of word for word. Then you get thought for thought and thought for thought translations aim to express really like the meaning of each sentence or paragraph from the original language, but more in like simple up-to-date English without being translation, translating every word. And so you're getting the overall thought, but you're not getting like a word-to-word -word translation. And so probably the most popular of the thought for thought is the NIV, the New International Version. It's well known. It's good. It's understandable. Uh, typically, these are like upper middle school reading levels. Um, but you do lose like precision when you go thought for thought. And so there's those. And then finally, there's the paraphrased version. And that primary or the primary goal of that would be to convey the Bible and really kind of just simple, easy to understand language without word for word, without regard to thought for thought expressions. And so oftentimes when it comes to paraphrasing, <laughs> the way that I like to think of it is like the authors exercise very poetic license um, in their spaces. And most of those translations are like a fourth or fifth grade reading level. And so many of them are like beautiful expressions of, of the Bible, like the message or the New Living Translation. Um, but they are interpretations more than even they are translations. And so at Crossroads, we believe the word-for-word -word translation is the best for studying Scripture. That's what we want to do on the weekends is to study God's Word and to be able to apply it to our lives. And so the ESV is really like the easiest one to understand. That's a word-for-word, -word, easiest one to read. And so therefore, since it's the most accessible, that's the one that we that we choose to read. And so, um, so that's how I'd, I'd answer at yeah. least the first part of that question. Yeah. you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, uh, I just think it's important to remember that uh, when translating from one language to another, uh, there's a lot of challenges that come there. And, and a lot of times, like the Hebrew and Greek original uh, languages don't directly come to English. 
Um, it's languages are weird. I mean, it just yeah. just the reality of, of languages are weird. And so trying to understand, I, I think when it, when we, no matter what version we choose to use, uh, it's just a uh, good practice of Bible study is to remember, hey, who wrote it? Who was it written to? Uh, what's the context it was written in? And I think that when we start understanding historical and biblical context, um, mm-hmm. we can— it helps, especially if you're reading like the ESV, the word-for-word translation, then it allows room for us to do our own uh, interpretation through the help of the Holy Spirit to understand what is the thing that God is trying to teach me through this? Why is it here? Um, why did Paul write this letter to the Ephesians? What was going on? What was he trying to address? And that's how we don't just pull out one verse and make it something that it was never intended to be. Um, it is really understanding it in its entirety, that this was something that was written to be uh, read. I, I mean, at least a book in the Bible was written to be read in its entirety and not to be nitpicked for, for my, own, it, my own personal uh, views on things, right? I think that yes. we can very easily start to pull things out of Scripture and make it fit my worldview as opposed to trying to read Scripture and try to say, God— Help for me to transform my mind to understand your worldview and the way that you've designed things to work. And so uh, I think that those are just important things to, to keep in mind. Um, you know, there's uh, the old saying, you know, whatever version you decide to use is the best version um, because at least you're reading it. Um, and so there's, yes. there's some value there. I also had a professor uh, because you can easily be like, man, there's so many versions. How am I supposed to pick one or or it's all just it just debunks everything. Right. And so. Yeah. Uh, a professor used to say to us, uh, if you believe, if God is who he says he is, and he loves us the way that he says that he does, then we have to trust that his communication to us via his word is accurate. Um, and yeah. so um, I think that uh, we just, we believe uh, that, that God is good and that he genuinely wants to communicate his truth to us. Um, and yeah. so we can rest in that. Yeah, and I think that when it comes to kind of like I would say the big four versions of the Bible, so the New American Standard, the English Standard Version, the NIV, and the New King James, like the scholarship behind those four translations is so great in terms of the textual criticism and the understanding that when we sit down and read those, while they might not say exactly the same thing, like word for word, you know, ultimately those Bibles are trying to translate it the best they can for the world that we're living in Mm -hmm. right now for us to be able to understand it. Since we can't have that one-to-one, if you don't know Greek, you can't read Greek, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, but that scholarship behind that work is so phenomenal. It is, it is really quite amazing. People, men and women giving their lives and many of them, not even Christians, but because they love language and they love history and they love um, the accuracy of language that they are putting their work, their life work behind uh, making sure that these are translated rightly. And you brought up how difficult it is sometimes to take one language from another. And the example I always use is the word green. Like if I'm to say that I am green, you know, and 2000 years from now, somebody's trying to translate if I'm green, what that means uh, in our English language, green can mean a color, right? You have the color green. It can mean that I'm envious, that I'm green with envy. It can mean that I'm ill. It can mean a multiple things, right? And so uh, 2,000 years later, as they're sitting down and, and reading, Matt Manning was green. Did it mean that he was literally green? Did it mean he was envious? Did it mean he was sick? Like, what did that mean? And it the means historical he's really context, bad at finger painting. 
yes, that's right. And so, um, so you know, the work of of scholars is to figure out what is the historical context mm -hmm. and what is the the context around that line. Cultural uh, context to help make sense. falls into there too, I think. Yeah, to help make sense of what's what's being said in this moment. And like I said, um, the amazing scholarship that's happening actually gives me so much um, confidence in the word that we have. Absolutely. That it is that it is what it is. Having known Greek and studied Hebrew, to be able to look at those four translations and go, man, they're they're knocking it out of the park. Yeah. Yeah, and so, so we have the sixty-six books of the Bible, and uh -huh. they're. Uh, they're arranged in a certain way, and it's not chronological typically. So can you speak to uh, why are they not chronological, and uh, and do you prefer it one way or the other? Yeah, so yeah, I guess there's really three ways to put together the scriptures, or three ways that the scriptures have been put together. So one is uh, kind of the Jewish way, and the Jewish way has uh, the Torah at the beginning, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, uh, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Uh, and then it goes into some of the history books like First and Second Kings, and then it goes through all of the prophets, and then it actually ends with First and Second Chronicles. So a recap of of everything that you've just read, and then into the New Testament. So I think uh, it's so important kind of to uh, to specify too, Matt, that uh, the books of the Bible are organized by theme, right? So you have yep. books that are historical. You have the original Torah, right, which is yep. uh, what you just referenced to. Um, you have prophets so when we say prophets it's, it's different people that god used throughout the yep. that throughout times before jesus which is the old testament and so they've just grouped them together based on theme right yeah yep and that's the way that we read our scriptures uh today like if you have an english version of the bible it's grouped really in the uh in genres so you have the torah at the beginning and then you have the historicals, right? And then you have the poetics. So you have the Song of Solomon's and Psalms and uh, even Job to a degree. And then you have the prophets, the major prophets, and then the minor prophets. Mm -hmm. And so and major that's really the way is our... just how long the book is. Yes. It doesn't mean yeah. one prophet is more important than the other. Because I used to think that. Like major prophet yeah. and minor prophet. Oh, these are, I'm going to read the major prophets because those are the good ones, the minor prophets. Those are, are the good no ones. Good. Those no, are the it's good just, ones. It's, so, it's dependent on length of the book. Yeah, yeah. So, so there is a difference between the Jewish Old Testament and the English New Testament in terms, or I'm sorry, not New Testament, the Jewish Old Testament and the English Old Testament, the way that they're ordered, um, but not significantly. And then you have the chronological Bible that's become popular in the last couple of years. And uh, instead of going book by book, really, it tears apart and goes chronological. And so maybe the best example that we could think of is like everybody probably knows of David, King David's sin with Bathsheba when he committed adultery. We find that in Second Samuel 11, but also uh, David writes about that experience in Psalm 51. And so in a traditionally structured Bible, whether it's the Jewish Old Testament or what we have today, what we would call the Bible today, that the structured Bible, you would have to go to Second Samuel first to read about it, and then you would have to find Psalms, and you would have to read about it. But the, what the chronological Bible does is it actually smashes all those stories together. Mm -hmm. And so chronologically, when you get to King David and that sin with Bathsheba, what would follow the Second Samuel passage is the Psalm 51. And so it puts it right there together. And so I would say, like, both of them are useful. Uh, I would say, first and foremost, that God gave us uh, his word in books, right? He asked human authors uh, to work 
within the power of the Holy Spirit, and he gave us books and order, and within those books is structure that when you understand that, uh, you see the books come alive and in ways that, that probably most don't see. Uh, but there's also, I would say, value to the chronological Bible, that if you wanted to see the big picture of the storyline of God, if you wanted to see it from the beginning to the end, uh, and see it chronologically ordered, that that would be a really good way to see it. And so I think that for most people, it's probably where they're sitting at in their faith and when they're, where they're at in their, uh, in their faith journey. And so if you're at a point where you want to see like the whole picture of the Bible, man, grab a chronological Bible, read it through. Um, if you're looking to study the Bible and understand the scriptures, the way that God gave it to us, then, uh, then yeah, pick up a traditional Bible and, and head there as long as you're reading it, I think is the important thing at the yeah, end of the day. For sure. And just to break down the New Testament for people who haven't broken it down, so you have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the beginning of the New Testament, yep. um, and yes. then you have history as well, um, New Testament history, which is Acts, right? Yep, yep. Uh, and then you get into letters, so uh, as the early church was was learning what it meant to, to live out the faith following Jesus, uh, they were writing letters to each other, and so we have a whole bunch of letters um, and then we have, uh, does that go right into Revelation, the letters? Uh, yep. Yep. So yep. then we have, the, you have Revelation. the book of prophecy, you know, uh, of, of what's going to, you know, the, the, the big end times book as people would call it. So, um, yep. so I mean, it, it's, I like to think of that. I like to think of that in sports terms. So oftentimes when I think of the Bible, I think of the old Testament as like the pregame show. Right. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus was like the super bowl. And then the letters are all looking back on like, this is the way that the game unfolded. Like this is what you need to understand mm-hmm. of the game. And then you have the final book of, of previewing what's ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and good. So. That's good. I, I like that. I can, I can, I can sit with that one. That's pretty good. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's, uh, we, we actually bought a book not that long ago. It's called the Jesus story where someone took okay. all four gospels and actually made it into one mm-hmm. book. So they took all of the oh. accounts and, and, and and meshed it all into to one gospel book with all four accounts okay. meshed together, which it's kind of fun to read through that too in that way, um, yeah. just to be able to see everybody's perspective all in one story. Um, so, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, like you said, if you're reading it, I think that you're you're doing the right thing. Um, I don't think that there's necessarily a wrong way to read the Bible, and and that's uh, I love the reality that that the Jesus left and gave us the Holy Spirit and the purpose of the Holy Spirit. He has lots of things that he's doing, but one of the things he's doing is helping us to to know and understand Scripture. He is the teacher, right? And so uh, always uh, pray and invite the Holy Spirit in uh, to help me when I'm reading Scripture or when I'm studying Scripture. Um, and so uh, I would encourage you guys to do that as well, to, to just ask the Holy Spirit. You know, it, it's a simple 10-second prayer before you reading, just you know, I, I just ask you, Holy Spirit, to teach me as I'm reading today. You know, I mean, super simple. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, trusting that, that God is going to be faithful to meet with you in those times and to help you understand his word. I think that's one of the, the biggest things, at least through growing up, going to camp, you know, is hearing uh, different people say, oh, the Bible's too hard to understand or it's contradictory or all these different excuses of why not to read it. And the reality is, is that there are people out there that went to disprove Christianity and distrue, disprove the the validity of Scripture, and they ended up following Jesus because once you start to actually study it, uh, there's just no way around it. You know, it's so good. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think I think the key questions to ask is oftentimes I approach scripture like a newspaper reporter and, you know, observing what's going on, like looking forward and just asking the questions like who, what, where and why, mm-hmm. like like what's going on in this space. And then ask, after kind of observing what's going on in the text, looking and going, so what did this mean? Like in the plain sense, what did what did Jesus mean when he said this? And then ultimately kind of the last question of what does this mean to me? Mm-hmm. And I think that when we break the scriptures down into that space, so f- like, for example, this last weekend, I preached on love your enemies, you know? So like, who's Jesus speaking to there? What's the context that he's speaking in? Why was he saying that, right? Ultimately, that'll lead you to Leviticus 19 and all the things I brought out in the sermon. But then just the plain sense of what is Jesus saying? He's just saying, love your enemies. Um, and that's hard. So what's he calling me to do in that space? He's calling me to love my enemies. And why? Because ultimately... It brings about his glory and shows ourselves to be merciful, like our Heavenly Father is merciful and all the other things. But all of that sermon began with just asking those three questions, like, what's going on here? How would I interpret this in the plainest sense? And then what's the application for me out of this? And uh, anybody can really do that. And uh, to sit down and take big passages of Scripture or little passages of Scripture and do that with them. Yeah, that's good. Thanks so much for for chatting with me today, Matt. Uh, I just want to allude to... Uh, if you would like to hear Matt's message, you can always go to our YouTube channel. Just search Crossroads ABC um, and, or Crossroads Church. Uh, you should be able to find it that way as well. And we have all of our, our messages archived. They're also archived on our website. If you want to go back and listen to any of those on demand, you're welcome to do that. Uh, we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Be sure to follow us there. Uh, keep up to date with everything that's going on. Otherwise, we will see you for episode 14.